Me, Romans chapter 4, but hold your finger there. We're going to go back to Hebrews chapter 11 as well. And we're going to start in Hebrews 11 first, and we're going to check out the faith of a lady. In Hebrews 11, the faith of a lady. Ladies, did you know that there are only 6,000 permanent residents in Aspen, Colorado? You've heard of Aspen, haven't you? It's the winter getaway for the rich and famous, but there's only 6,000 permanent residents there. Do you know of those 6,000 permanent residents that there are 50 billionaires? It's the highest per capita ratio of billionaires in any community in the United States and the world. 50 billionaires among 6,000 permanent residents. And we live in a world that would just aspire to be a permanent resident of Aspen. Colorado, that's a, that's a place of prestige if you own real estate there or you live there. You've kind of arrived in our culture. That's the ultimate arrival place in our culture. Um, ladies aspire to do good things, be around good people, and have nice things. Um, as I was growing up in a pastor's home, I can remember my mom always longing to have a home that she could call her own. You know, it's not a grandiose thing for a pastor's wife to live in a parsonage. I didn't know if you knew that or not. A pastor's wife is always thankful for food, clothing, and shelter. But a pastor's wife never feels like she's in her home when it's never her home. So while churches for years were trying to do what they could to give to their pastors and their families. That's just one natural aspect that God's given a woman that was never quite fulfilling for my mom. But boy, when she could step out and have their own home, it wasn't about just the material possession, was it? God's created a lady to, to be spiritual nesters, not just nesters. He's created them to, and recreated them to provide an environment that actually gives way to spiritual reproduction. If she's a godly lady, uh, she doesn't merely live for the material possessions. She doesn't live with Aspen in mind. She just wants to have a home that could be an environment to spiritually reproduce souls for the Lord Jesus Christ. She wants a household of faith, not just religious faith. That's temporary. There's a lot of value to religious faith. But a godly woman wants a home of saving faith. Every soul. She longs that every soul be born again. She longs for a spiritual progeny. A spiritual lady longs to think about not just the children and the grandchildren, but the great-grandchildren and the great-great-great-great-grandchildren. Will there be a faith that remains from this home? And shouldn't that be the desire of all of us? Men and women? To nurture something like that in our own environments right now that will be that lasting 
for our family trees long after we're gone. That's what saving faith does. Religious faith has its value, but it's only temporary. It's not saving faith. Religious faith will go to the grave with us. You say, I have a faith, I believe in God, but that's where it ends. I live my life by some basic moral principles, and I believe in God, but that's where it ends. That kind of faith will go to the grave with you, and it's over. But there's only one kind of faith that lives on through generations. Transformational faith that lives on through generations, and that's saving faith. That's the faith that only comes through turning from yourself and your own sin and placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you really want to leave your progeny safe and secure from all alarm, ladies, you need to be born again. And you need to share that life of Jesus Christ with your progeny because that's the only way they will be safe and secure from all alarm for all of eternity. There's one lady in Hebrews chapter 11, well, there's others, uh, but one in particular this morning that we'll investigate uh, that you're familiar with. Hebrews chapter 11, let's look at verse 11. It happens to be the wife of the fella whose faith we've been studying in Romans 4. And her name was Sarai in time to become Sarah. Look at what it says here about her faith. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive. By faith, now. Faith first. Even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered God, him, faithful, who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that. As many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. That's the faith of Sarah. And the text of Scripture in the New American Standard is very, very clear. By faith even Sarah, what? Sarah herself. Sarah herself. Isn't that where it begins, ladies? You've got to draw the circle around yourself. Have you owned Jesus Christ for yourself? Ladies live their lives often helping and longing to help others. But the most significant thing that has to happen for you girls, ladies, has to be in your own heart first. You've got to understand who Jesus is and own him for yourself. And then uh, there's the progeny. Go over now to Romans 4, where we've been. We know that all of these descendants, all of these descendants that the Lord promised to Abraham, he also promised to Sarah. But we understand from Romans chapter 4 that Abraham's faith is a representative faith. Certainly he was born again. Remember, he believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. But doesn't the text tell us, by way of memory, that Abraham's faith is a representative faith for all those who would be born again in time and history? So by the time we get to the end of Romans chapter 4, we're talking about the descendants of Abraham and Hebrews 11, 
verses 11 and 12, the descendants of Sarah, his wife, who was also a member of that faith, that transformational faith. And the reality is that there will be descendants transformed by the same Savior in your family's history as you remain faithful to that faith that is necessary to please God. Years ago, a family member of ours that lived in Atlanta uh, put together a a very, very, uh, took her over a decade from what I understand, a decade or a little bit longer study of our family history. Uh, She charted our family history clear back into the Western European countries, uh, funneled it through to, I guess, one of the the second signer of the Declaration of Independence, uh, Lyman Hall, is is a family member of ours. And she traced it all the way through to the present. But she did something very interesting. While she was tracing the biological history, she traced the spiritual history. And by the time she brought, we had a family reunion up here in Ohio, and she brought all of that information up from Georgia. And I can remember laying it out on the table. And it was not in book form. In time, she was going to put it in book form. Um, The Leonards just allowed me to peruse through a book of their family history. And it's quite thick from a family member that decided to do the same thing. But I can remember these, these large pieces of paper that we would have to just, they're about three, you know, three foot by four foot, and page after page of tracing history. And uh, she did national history, she did educational history, and she did spiritual history. And she could trace all the way back to the Western European countries, various family members who were actually born-again people. And in a family reunion that happened to be more Christian than not, we all stood there and we just wept. Because of the people from over the pond that responded to the gospel hundreds of years ago. I wonder what history would write for us hundreds of years from now. Could those people who maybe not even have a portrait of you, because it's been so long, stand there and be thankful for you? Because you had the faith of Sarah. And the faith of Abraham. Now we've understood multiple things about this saving faith. This representative saving faith in the book of Romans chapter 4. We realized first of all in verses 3 to 12. That this righteousness that comes. This faith that comes. This righteousness that comes by faith is not of works. We rehearsed last week in verses 13 to 16. That our promise, and that word promise is mentioned multiple times throughout Romans chapter 4. Our promise comes by grace and not by the law. But I want to discuss our progeny this morning in verses 17 to 21. What about this faith that produces spiritual descendants? Faith that produces spiritual descendants. Well, When you look at verses 17 to 21, emerging from those short verses are five virtues of saving faith. Five virtues of saving faith. And these virtues are seen in the spiritual descendants of those who are born again who decide to walk with God. 
you walk with God, you're born again. These are five emerging spiritual virtues that are uh, part and parcel of saving faith that will be reproduced in your descendants as you walk with God because these were certainly reproduced in the life of Abraham and Sarah. Let's look at verse number 17. As it is written, a father of many nations, have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. So there's the reality. The spiritual descendants will be there for sure because of belief. But now here come the virtues. In verse number 18, in hope against hope, he believed. Remember, his faith is representative even of his wife's. In hope, against hope, she believed. She believed. So that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet... With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, verse 21, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. What are these five virtues? What are these five virtues? First of all, this was a faith based on omnipotence, and the word of God. It was a faith based on omnipotence and the word. As we mentioned earlier, the word promise here appears four times in verse 13, within the context, verse 13, 14, 16, 20, and even as a verb in verse 21, five times in various forms in this short text. Who was behind the giving of these promises? God. I was reading earlier this week on a tweet. Our faith is as strong as its object. Our faith is as strong as its object. Boy, doesn't that make a lot of sense when you talk about religious faith or saving faith? If it's merely religious faith, it's I have faith. I can do this. I can create this reality for myself. But if it's saving faith, it's, oh, God did this. God can do this through me. It's God who has saved me. It's God who keeps me. Big difference. It's God who is behind these promises. And these are promises according to his word. And these promises were to be fulfilled through Abraham and Sarah because of their source, their gods. He transformed them and now they become the vessels demonstrating that omnipotence in their own lives. The demonstration of God's omnipotence in their lives was only because they had a personal encounter with God in salvation. And they did not have a personal encounter with God's omnipotent promises, but with God himself. So much of faith today 
is based on what faith can do for us rather than the object of our faith. As we shared Wednesday night, Try to summarize this as quickly as I can. The, the manager of the New York Yankees, Joe Girardi, was asked not long ago uh, what made him great as a player and as a manager because he's won a World Series at both levels. Right? And a good friend of mine who's best friends with Joe Girardi uh, used to play with him in the Cubs organization years ago. He asked him, Joe, what makes you great at any level? And he said, this is what makes me great. And my friend said he answered in a nanosecond, very quickly. He said, all the people around me, including my players, know that I love them for who they are, not what they can do. He said, in the highest stage in baseball, when it should be all about performance and batting averages and on-base percentages and strike-to-walk ratios, and you're, and you're managing the likes of Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez and all these great names in baseball, you think it would all be about numbers and performance. And he says, but that's not what makes us great. That's not what makes what I've done great. Everyone in this organization knows, everyone that I've ever played with or managed knows that I love them more than what they can do. And I thought about that in relationship to God. Isn't that what omnipotent faith really yields? That we are able to love God more for who he is than what he can do for us? Certainly we have promises, but we didn't come to God based on his promises of welfare, did we? That's a false faith. There's plenty of people that have preached come to God for what he can do for you. Materially, emotionally, physically, but no, we came to God because we desperately needed his omnipotent transformation through Christ because of our sin. We came to God with nothing other than a desperate need to be born again. It was a faith based on the omnipotence of God and a faith, therefore, that was given through the promises of his word. It was a faith based on omnipotence and his word. And this remains the foundation for a woman's perseverance and a man's perseverance in faith. Our faith is as strong as its object, and that's God. It's based in the omnipotence of God. What does the text say? Verse 17, he gives life to the dead. Who can do that but God? <coughs> And calls into being that which does not exist. That's a reference to creation. Genesis 1 and 2. Who can do that except for God? Did God say in verse 17 that a father of many nations, I will make you? No. He said, a father of many nations, have I made you? These are promises that only omnipotent God could make. And they're given to us through his word. And we're able to live those promises because of having been omnipotently, omnipotently transformed and then informed with the word of God. Therefore, we persevere and live by it. Abraham believed God. Did it mean that his belief would be without struggle? 
Did Abraham struggle? Folks, even in his 99th year, 14 years after having been weak in his faith, and by Hagar, Ishmael arrives, we find him weak in his faith again, where God reminds him at 99, almost a century year old, century old, oh wow, you're going to have this child. And he laughs, right? But isn't it interesting how God doesn't often highlight for us over and over the failures of saving faith of people in the Old Testament? But he highlights their faith. Aren't you glad that God doesn't highlight your failures in your faith, but he highlights who you are in Jesus Christ? One of the temptations we have as God's people is to, to look unwittingly at the glamorous conditions and natures and opportunities of Old Testament saints and get enamored by that. And then we, because we're enamored, overly enamored by it, when they do fail, we're just kind of like, oh, wow, they really messed up right there. I mean, David, what's up with that? Abraham and Sarah both laughing and mocking God after all those years of walking with him. What's up with that, my friends? That's the condition of our humanity. But what never changes is who we are in God's opinion in Jesus Christ. We're fixed in him, forever reconciled. Let's not be enamored by either the faith and or the failure. Let's be enamored with God and his word and his promises through his word. And let's always be amazed that God's people throughout all of human history who walked with him always won more battles than they lost. And that's only because their object of their face is omnipotent in his nature and ability. Only God can keep that which he's saved. Let it be a reminder to those of you who are older in the faith that have struggled recently. Or you look back over your shoulder, the rearview mirror of your life, and you say, wow, I've really failed God here, here, and here. My friends, be careful not to be overwhelmed by failure, but to be overwhelmed by the God of your faith. And then a proper analysis of your life, have you sought and have you won more battles than you've lost? That's saving faith. It's based on omnipotence and persevering according to the word of God. Let's move along in these virtues, because as you are, I am as well, noticing how the time is quickly fleeting by. It was a faith of great anticipation, verse 18. It says here, in hope against hope he believed. What in the world does that mean? In hope against hope he believed. Saving faith, ladies, is a faith that perseveres despite all contrary appearances. Saving faith believes God in the absence of all external supports. The text says that Abraham believed God even when the external evidences were actually and sharply to the contrary, one author said. In hope against hope he believed. This looks like a contradiction, doesn't it? Another author said, But it means simply that there was no human ground for any hope, but he, she, believed God anyway, and this faith gave them hope. Only omnipotence can do that. Paul's thoughts are clearly 
to take us to the point when Abraham and Sarah are physically incapable of bearing children. Abraham believed, as we know Sarah struggled, but in time she also believed, winning more battles than they're losing, folks. Any one of us who are over 65, 70, 75, 80, 85? How about 14 years later, 99? Not even a fleeting thought to produce more progeny. You would struggle with that. Thought. No, 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 I don't even want to, let alone I hope to. Right? You would struggle. But even though you struggled, you would be known as a person that won more than you lost. You would be a person of anticipation. You would say, okay, God, I don't get it, but I trust you. You're able to trust God where you can't trace him. I don't get it, God. I really even doubt it, God. But where does that but come from? That but is sourced in omnipotence. But God. (laughs) But God. This is what he does. Abraham faced the facts for sure. But saving faith allows our hearts and minds to transcend the facts under the promises of God with really no human rationale at all. That's why it's based in God and not us. This is important. And it's an important time for us to remember something about what we can learn from Old Testament saints. If you're going to have a spiritual progeny, your life must be in Jesus Christ, governed by the Spirit, and it must be a life that's winning more battles than it's losing. And God will give you that which he promises, as he did to these dear saints. Third virtue, as we hustle on, it was a faith that trusted in affliction. It was a faith that trusted in affliction. Someone once said, you can't jettison truth just because you feel someone will be hurt by it. So we don't want to jettison truth here. It may not sit comfortably with some, but nonetheless, it's here. It was a faith that trusted during the time of affliction. Verse 19, we've already read that. It's very clear. And you know, ladies, we must embrace the truth presented here as well. For the believer, divine things are born out of adversity. And at these times, seeming impossibility. But we again, within the context of Scripture, must not glamorize this story, the ultimate ability for both Abraham and Sarah to express their confidence and assurance is noted here in verse 19, is only realized when someone who has truly been born again perseveres well according to God's word. To know that you're born again and to feel that you are born again can be very, very two different things. To know is to realize that God is, what God has done for you To feel is based on your winning more than your losing in the time of your spiritual struggle. A faith that trusts in affliction is only able to do so because one has generally persevered in their faith. And again, they have won more than they have failed. And I only say this because I know that there, I know for some of you, you're struggling in your faith unnecessarily. And often I do the same thing. We can, in a moment's notice, be overwhelmed 
with our personal failure. And we can, in a, in a, in a moment, forget the rearview mirror that we've actually walked with God and won more than we've lost. And we can be consumed by that immediate failure. That's not God's design for us. And the text tells us the faith that perseveres is a faith that will anticipate, it will hope against hope, but it's a faith that has great anticipation in the midst of affliction, even your own affliction, your own personal failure. Why? Because this is what God does. This is what God does. Look at the fourth virtue as a faith that was united. What does it say in verse 20? With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. The word waver here literally means to divide. What does James chapter 1 say? A faithful person is not a double-minded person. A double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. Right? Abraham, even though he had some failures, overall, what could be defined as a success because of omnipotence that was behind the promises and his ability to believe and follow along with the promises and along the way win more than he lost. Therefore, it was a united faith. It was a united faith. The idea that man is often divided is true. He wants to believe God, but often trusts himself too much. And we have to go back again to faith, fact, and feeling. Right? Who's the source of our faith? God. What are the facts that he's given us in his word? And let those give birth to our feelings, not the other way around. That's religious faith. That's the faith of the world. Begin with how you feel and what you can do. And then let's kind of attach scripture to it. Along the way, God's going to either be just or unjust based on how I work things out or how they don't work out. But saving faith is the other way around. This is a united faith. And finally, it was a faith that regarded fulfillment. It was a faith that regarded fulfillment. Verse 21 is pretty clear. It's very clear. And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to what? This is how we end. He was able to perform. He was able to perform. Wouldn't be the greatest fulfillment of your life, ladies, men, to leave your family with an inheritance? How many people have I fought with in my office I haven't fought with them. They fought with each other while I've observed. Right? <laughs> Over the inheritance that their parents left them. Right? You guys could tell your own stories. Those get to be pretty vicious fights sometimes, don't they? Right? And so unnecessary. Right? And so while I'm sitting there as the peanut gallery observer, even though they've come and asked for help, and so they start going at it themselves. I just kind of cross my arms and sit back in my chair and just kind of watch for a little bit. Right? I think to myself over and over and over, boy, they just keep getting more and more vicious over something that's never going to last. I just buried a, well, it was part of a funeral. I was able to participate in a funeral this week of a very dear pastor friend of mine that passed away. Don Leach. And Don had a statement that he always made. He made it to me several times. Even a pastor at the funeral made uh, mention of the same thing. He said, you know what? I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. <laughs> he had a great sense of humor. But in verse 21, 
the kind of faith that's being discussed here in this passage, these five virtues, comes to the highest climax, the highest pinnacle here. He will perform it. He will perform what? Let's go back to the pages and pages and pages of descendants from Western Europe and the Hall Potter clan. He will be faithful to perform what? The spiritual aspects of maintenancing a progeny that lives for Jesus Christ. That's what it does. There's a British historian who once said, delay is the deadliest form of denial. Delay is the deadliest form of denial. Ladies, it's never too late to do right. If you're struggling in your faith and that's gotten you off track from persevering like you once did, just understand this. It would be the wicked one who would keep you derailed. And he knows that as long as you stay derailed, there's something of infinite value at stake. And that's whether you're going to have a spiritual progeny. But because we have the source of our faith being God and we have his promises, we can live with great anticipation. And we can understand that even though Sarah and Abraham had some pretty Graphic mistakes explained us in Scripture. They won more battles than they lost, and it was never too late for them to do right. But listen, they did right because they were of the faith. People who say, I'm of the faith, but have never been on the track for a long time and have no intentions of getting back on the track of obeying God's promise and His word, you're not people of faith. Saving faith, your religious faith, it'll keep you for a while, but not forever. Do you know Jesus Christ? What I find is interesting here as we close. Hebrews 11 is a list of 26 Old Testament saints. Notice I said Old Testament saints, not Old Testament people of a particular country. In a New Testament context, in Romans chapter 4, we're given two more illustrations of the faith of Old Testament saints. And why do we call them saints? Because they believed in the promise to come. The promise who is Jesus Christ. And now we have the opportunity to believe back to that promise, Jesus Christ, who's already come. The author and finisher of our faith, the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. Ladies, that's where it all begins. It's you with Jesus and the reason why he came for you. And he was more than just a prophet. And he was more than just a good philanthropist. He was God in human flesh that came to be slaughtered because of your sin. And he was the fulfillment of all that which Old Testament prophecy. And he came as God's gift of grace to you. If you want to enjoy this spiritual progeny and these five virtues of saving faith, it's got to start with Jesus Christ first. Would you turn from yourself and place your faith in him and allow him to transform you from the inside? And remember, the strength of your faith is only as strong as its object. Okay? You need to know omnipotence in a personal way. Let's pray together.